Does dinosaur skin taste like chicken? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, September 12th, 2022. Chicken? <laughs> That's the question. Uh, oh. oh, hi, I'm Ken Ham, <laughs> and I'm here with Dr. Kai Cluster and also Brian Osborne. Hey, guys. And we're going to start off by discussing a new fossil from a biblical perspective as well as other stories, but actually we'll make the first discussion about a rare fossil that reveals basketball-like skin on a duck-billed dinosaur. Yeah. And you ask the question, does dinosaur skin taste like chicken? Do you know why you ask that question? I'm not really sure, no. Because evolutionists believe dinosaurs evolved into birds. Oh, that's right. And so when you eat a chicken, you're eating dinosaur. So when you go to Chick-fil-A and eat some pre-sanctified chicken, like when evolutionists are eating a dinosaur. That's what they okay. actually believe that they do. They do. That's true. They actually because they believe that dinosaurs grew feathers and became birds, something like that. So anyway, I don't like eating chicken. We were talking about that earlier. Right? Unless you don't it's like flavored. chicken. Unless it's flavored. Do you like Chick Fil A? Oh, yeah, but it's flavored. Okay. <laughs> and it doesn't taste like chicken. If it doesn't taste like chicken, I can eat chicken. <laughs> It's true. You, you, you know what? Do you know what I mean by chickeny chicken? This show's off the rails already. You know the fishy fish the when fish is real strong? Well, there's chickeny chicken. I can't eat chickeny chicken. I don't like chickeny chicken. Okay. What are we talking about? All oh, right. What are you talking about here? In our first to... article. <laughs> so there's been a really good find, a dinosaur find. It's actually a hydrosaur, a duck-billed dinosaur. It's almost a complete skeleton. This is over in Canada. And one of the guys who discovered it said it's a once-in-a-lifetime discovery. They found fossilized soft tissue. So the tissue is not actually soft anymore. It has been fossilized. But the skin has been preserved. So you can see the texture of the skin. Some of the tendons have been preserved also as well. So it's an incredible find. And it's still a dinosaur, not a bird. Supposedly 76 million years old. But of course, that's imaginary time, not now, real history. If you're going to have preserved tendons, which they say, and preserve skin, here's what happened. The dinosaur died, and over millions of years was slowly covered by sediment as it rotted and decayed, and which is why everything is so preserved. That's exactly right. Or so. they will make an admission themselves that says, the abundance of sandstone and silt covering the fossils is what helped with their impeccable preservation. And one of the scientists is quoted as saying, I think the specimen was covered quite quickly. So well, that would be exactly what Can we'd... you think of anything that would cover something quickly? In fact, it's not just the dinosaur. There are fossils all over the world. Have, have you seen upstairs in the Creation Museum, we have oh, a fossil yeah. fish eating another, another fish, fish in the middle That's of right. eating it, right. and it's preserved. Whatever happened was Jellyfish, quick. Jellyfish, right? Can anyone think of anything that could cover things quickly? Well, it's not just a few fossils. We're talking about millions upon millions, actually billions upon billions of dead things buried in rock layers that were laid down by water all over the earth. What would do that? Maybe a great flood. Maybe a global flood back Maybe in Noah's day, right? Maybe a global flood. Talking about fossils, we have a... The audience seems like are they fossilized today? <laughs> are they petrified? We need to wake them up. Oh, there they are. They woke up. Our studio audience that we have here at the they're just waiting the, for something funny to be said. That's all museum. it was. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it's interesting that this is. You know, they make a big issue of this dinosaur fossil with the skin and tendons that are all fossilized. So whatever happened was quick. And they say that there, mm -hmm. but this is not just um, one rare example. I mean, you have example after example like this all over the world and all sorts of fossil preserved very yep. quickly. Look down at the ark on the third deck where you have that big fern frond and all those fish uh, there oh, that yeah. have been fossilized. Uh -huh. Whatever happened was quick. And the more you look at the fossil record, the more you realize it speaks of catastrophism. 
which is consistent with the flood of Noah's day, uh, not millions and millions of years. So this fossil wasn't 65 million years old. I'd say at the most, this fossil will be about 4,300 years old. That's right, time of the flood. Do you know why I, I said agree. that? I agree, that's when the flood happened. That's right. You know what's else fascinating? There's even um, in dinosaur bones, they found soft tissue that's still soft. Um, that's it's right. preserved, um, but it's still stretchy and pliable, and there's even red blood cells found in artery segments and things. Um, and so again, it's really hard to imagine that they'd last for 65 million years. So. And you know, when they first discovered that, it was in a dinosaur bone, but then and later on, they've now found that there is even soft tissue in other creatures yeah. as well, bones of other creatures in the fossil mm -hmm. record. So again, there's so much that speaks right. against slowly long over ages. millions of years and long ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to go to the next one, Brian. Next article, a scientific journal calls for suppression of research contradicting LGBT ideology. I, re I retitled this article, The Ministry of Truth Calls for Suppression of Research Contradicting the LGBTQ Agenda, because <laughs> essentially what it is. And so this has been happening for a while, but this is a new journal that's really doing this. The Nature of Human Behavior, that particular science journal, they have now had an editorial saying, listen, we now want you to be sure that any research you do, it cannot be attacking any particular group. And so what they're going to say is that your research, whether it intentionally or unintentionally harms someone, if it harms someone unintentionally, you cannot actually put it forth. What are they talking about? As you read through, if your research confirms the reality that there are only two genders and goes against the LGBTQ ideology of gender fluidity, if your research confirms the biology, the genetic reality of only two genders, well then that needs to be hushed because that could be offensive to other groups who are minority groups who actually don't identify as their biological gender. In other words, there's no academic freedom when it comes to this. You know, a lot of people are shocked when they say, you mean they're really saying this, that if, if the research goes against the LGBT worldview, you're not allowed to publish it. If it goes against uh, you know, more than two genders, you're not allowed to publish it. Yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what they're saying. But this is nothing new. Do you know they've been doing this for years and years and years? Do you realize that uh, journals for years, secular journals, have been basically had the policy, if there's an article that supports creation, they won't publish it. If there's an article that questions the tenets of the whole evolutionary belief system, they won't publish it. It's why over the years there have been evolutionists say, oh, you creationists never publish anything in the peer-reviewed journals. Actually, that's not true because some creation scientists have, mm -hmm. but they just know if you use the word creation in there uh, that it will be edited that's out right. and they've got to be careful how they write the article. But the point is they have been uh, actually eliminating any creationist worldview from these journals for a long time. That's the bias that's out there. And now you're seeing being applied to the LGBT worldview. Right. They will not allow any research to be published that goes against that. In fact, if there's false information out there, didn't they say something about that, Yeah, Kai? it said mm -hmm. that um, you, you can't publish it in there, but in one case they found evidence they had been saying that um, that using uh, puberty blockers produced better mental health outcomes. But then when they found out that was debunked, that that was not actually true, they were slow in withdrawing it because it was getting good publish, good, good coverage. Um, and so they're not playing it both, both ways. So in other words, if there's false information to support the LGBT then movement, they, they don't want to take it out mm -hmm. of their journals. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if there's real information, right that actually supports two genders and goes against LGBT, they don't want to publish it. Right. 
that's, that's where we're at. You, you can't trust all that you're reading in, in the news articles or even in the scientific journals these days. Increasingly, you can't trust a lot of what you're reading. You know, when you were talking about the blocking pro, um, professionals from publishing articles on creation-type work in the science field, um, in about 2008, Ben Stein produced mm -hmm. a documentary called Expelled. I don't know if any of you remember that. But yeah, it was anyone, really, it was looking, anyone, does anyone, Bueller, anyone, Bueller, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But anyway, um, basically, um, he was telling stories or, or showing of accounts where professors yeah. were losing tenure, they were being asked to leave, they were losing their jobs. And one of the points that this one makes too is, you know, the journals have been doing this kind of for a long time. Um, and so maybe some people are being dissuaded from pursuing that kind of research because they know it's going to be hard to publish. But now the fact is that this is in place. Um, they can not only not get published, they can actually be accused of a violent academic attack on a minority group. And there can be repercussions for publishing stuff like that. And actually the authors uh, said this that to walk this fine balance between academic freedom and protection of the dignity and rights of individuals and human groups, uh, they go on to say this framework should be used judiciously consulting with experts and advocacy groups where needed. In other words, if this research leads to any undermining of the LGBT worldview, then you're going to have a discussion about and, and, you know, whether we should or shouldn't publish it. And if it's going to undermine them in any way, we shouldn't publish it. You know what's happening? The, the whole LGBT well, I mean, it's really, in a way, it's driving the entire culture. And if you have a look at the current administration in the United States, they're, they're employing as many LGBT in high positions as they can, and they want total compliance and acceptance. I don't, don't know how many of you realise, but uh, Congress has already passed a bill um, that is redefining marriage for the first time in American history. And that's going to come before the Senate and go through all the procedures that it has to go through. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But if this actually gets passed and redefines marriage, and of course uh, the current administration are really pushing for this. In fact, uh, Chuck Schumer actually made the statement he wants to tie it to a funding bill to get it through, to redefine marriage. And then it has in the bill, it actually has a clause where anyone who thinks they're being harmed by someone because they undermine their position in regard to marriage and other issues can have a, a, uh, take civil action against them. In other words, if someone like you in the audience said to somebody you don't believe in the LGBT worldview and the Bible is true and marriage is only one man and one woman, they could then sue you for that. They could shut down Christian organisations or they could get our tax-exempt status taken away from us. That's what they're trying to move towards in this nation. Many people don't realise this is happening. This is happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that people really need to be contacting uh, their senators and congressmen about. Absolutely. And it's also interesting in the article, kind of along the same line of thinking, the authors of this editorial for this journal said that they note that academic freedom should be restrained by well-established by well-established ethics framework. So there's an ethics framework that we should adhere to and want to follow these procedures to, to define what is, you know, what is attacking these minority groups and what is not according to the LGBTQ agenda. My question is, 
why should we follow an ethics framework at all? Whose ethics are we following in this, right? <laughs> and so what they're actually wanting us to do is follow their definition of morality, their definition of sexuality and marriage, their definition of gender. They want to redefine morality within their own worldview. And so it's this fundamental shift away from a biblical foundational ideology of these realities to a secular one, which ironically though, in their worldview, they've got no real foundation for absolute truth. Like, how do they define marriage and sexuality authoritatively? It's just their own opinion, right? So one opinion can vary to another person's opinion. They have no foundation for the morality mm -hmm. they want to push, but yet they want you to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Well, here's the interesting thing. When you have the foundation, it's man that determines truth. You've got no foundation in absolutes. You don't. Then anything goes. Yep. But actually, anything doesn't go, right? right. Anything goes except those who have the absolutes right. of Christianity. Yeah. Because they say you've got to allow all views. What about the view there's only one view based on the Bible? <laughs> well, no, you can't have that. So, and that's the clash in our We've seen that for a while, too. And that's, that why, sort of well, that's why Christians are seen as the enemy. You yeah. know, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, when, when that uh, man came to Jesus and said, Good master, and Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God. Mm. In other words, if there is no God who is the absolute authority, okay. how do you find how do you define, define good? That? How do you define what's right and what's mm -hmm. wrong? You can't. And in our culture, because the secular worldview has now become dominant, instead of the Judeo-Christian worldview that was once dominant through the culture, now you've got the secular worldview that's dominant, therefore Christian, uh, Christians are the bad people and you're the enemy. That's and right. they are totally intolerant of you because for Christians, at least, and I'm not saying all Christians are consistent, but for Christians, you love your enemies, you love your neighbours, we have a heart for people, we want to see them saved, one to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the secularists, they are just totally against by a, basically the Christian worldview. And that's why that clash. That's why they accuse us of hate speech, accuse us of being intolerant. And yet they're the ones with hate speech and they're the it's ones so that are intolerant. intolerant. That's right, yeah. it's so true. Well, and as a scientist too, just, I mean, it used to be and should be that um, research is judged on its merits of the quality of the research done, not deciding what should be published based on what the results say. Um, and that's what, it's, so what are we gonna be um, suppressing? What, what new information is not going to make it out into the public because they're quieting the results? And because of what they're doing in the culture, now we're seeing this sort of thing happening here. Yeah, so this is Enoch Burke. I believe this is over in Ireland, correct? I can't find an article. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's Ireland. Uh, he was arrested because of basically his beliefs. Now, the title says this, I love my school, but I'm here today because I would not call a boy a girl. Teacher refused to use students' gender-neutral pronouns, condemns insanity as he is jailed in Ireland. There's Ireland right there. So basically, he didn't get thrown in jail because he didn't use the particular words they're asking for. He didn't use the words the student and the student's parents asked him to use. He didn't use they instead of the actual personal pronoun. And so since he refused to do that, the school suspended him to where he could not come on the property, but yet he refused to stay away. And there was actually a court rule saying he could not come to the school and be there, but he actually violated that and came to the school anyway to be in his classroom. And he wasn't trying to be, apparently not trying to be forceful about it, but he wanted to be there, had to have his presence known, say, hey, I want to teach. I love what I do. I'm not trying to be lazy. Uh, so I want to be here at work and be a teacher, but I'm not allowed to be. But because he refused to leave, then that's why he was arrested directly. You know, it's amazing in that um, from all I, uh, I can read, and we don't know all the details involved, but right. from other articles and so on, seems he was a great teacher and uh, loved, his, loved right. teaching, loved to teach his students, and yet because he wouldn't call a boy a girl because he refused to bow to that, 
then he's suspended. And that's happening in America, it's happening in other countries as oh, well. Yeah. You can have great people, highly qualified, uh, great researchers or great uh, teachers or whatever, but if you won't call a boy a girl, then you're, you're in trouble. If you won't bow the knee to the secular authoritarians and you don't get to play ball, whatever field you want to be in. Mm -hmm. In other right, words, Christians don't have freedom for their worldview. No, they really don't. And he actually says that. He says, this is insanity as he left the courtroom to be taken to jail. But he said, I would not give up my Christian beliefs. So it was his Christian ideology, his Christian worldview that would not allow him to call a boy a girl because that would be a lie and also actually harmful to the child uh, we know ultimately. And so out of love for the kid and out of love for truth and God, he refused to bow the knee. And he's paying the consequences for it. Yeah. And the same sort of thing is happening in other areas too. Medical professionals yep. told they have to perform abortions right. or they have to form, perform uh, the, what I would call mutilation uh, in regard to Gender sex switches. change mm -hmm. operations and this sort of it thing. And mutilation. if they won't do these and they're going to lose their jobs, this sort of thing is happening more and more in our culture because again, the secular worldview has become dominant. But I, I also believe a lot of it's to do with the lack of good teaching from our churches. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. if, if God's people had raised up generations to stand on God's word beginning in Genesis, they would know there are two genders in humans. They would know that marriage is one man and one woman. But even leaders in the church are comp capitulating too. Uh, not all of them, but there's an increasing number that are capitulating to the LGBT worldview. It's interesting how even some of the, the clergy and churches are saying, well, the culture's changed, so we need to change our, uh, what we believe. But wait a minute, the Bible never changes, That's right. right? If they had stood on the Bible and if they believed literal Genesis, then, then you have to stand against the LGBT worldview. Well, believe in the authority of God's word from the very beginning, right? The Bible is clear and it's right about history. It's clear and it's right about sexuality and gender. And that all starts in the book of Genesis. So trusting God's word as the authority from the beginning is what so many Christians have compromised now for multiple generations. And we're seeing that comp compromise trickle down to other areas because bottom line, if you can reinterpret the first part of the Bible with man's ideas, why not reinterpret other parts of the Bible with man's ideas, right? Either the whole book is authoritative and true or none of it is. And that is a fundamental issue. And I love his statement here. He said this, the teacher got arrested. He said, I will never deny them his Christian beliefs nor betray them. I will never bow to an order that would require me to do so. It's just not possible for me to do that. It kind of reminds me of Martin Luther. You know, mm -hmm. I can do nothing else, but here I stand, yeah. right? Lord, help me. I think more and more as our culture does tend to be trending towards that secular worldview and really looking at Christianity as something that's aberrant and, and just not right, I think Christians are going to have to take this sort of stand and say, hey, listen, I'm going to stand on God's word no matter what. I, in, in a way, what's happening in our culture, the division between light and darkness, the division between real Christians is that those that aren't, the chasm is widening. It is. And we're going to see which side people are on. Mm -hmm. And we find the narrow road really is narrow. Yeah. And the number that are on it are even fewer than what you think were on it. That's what we're seeing. It's almost as if God is saying, okay, I'm going to allow all this to happen. And will the true Christians please stand up? Yeah. And we're going to see more and more in this culture who's right. prepared to stand on God's word. I mean, in the past, you read in Hebrews 11, they were sawn in two. You know, you read in history, they were thrown to lions. We're not at that stage yet, but what if we were at that stage? Right. Who's going to be prepared to stand? I think of the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, you know, yeah. uh, who said, you know, our God is able to deliver us from this. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow down uh, to you, O king. And That's God right. did deliver them from, from that fiery furnace. But do we have faith like people right. like that? Think about that. 
And that, that leads in well to the next article too, doesn't it? It does. So this one is actually a bit of good news. So it's nice to get some good news every now and again. Christian photographer beats city in court, won't be forced to work same-sex weddings. And so I retitled this, Religious Freedom Gets a Win. And so it's just nice to see that. So this is a photographer. This is over in Kentucky. So this is our neck of the woods. It's actually in Louisville. So a little bit away from here, but still in Kentucky. And this uh, photographer was not wanting to work weddings for same-sex couples because it violated uh, her Christian beliefs. And so she's taken to court uh, on that. And actually, they had put an ordinance over in Louisville, Kentucky, that you actually, it's called the Fairness Ordinance, that would require her, literally require her to work same-sex weddings, thus violating her religious beliefs, her First Amendment rights, and stuff like that. And so she took it to court, and eventually the court sided with her. Yeah, and the trouble is... This happened in 2019. No, that's true. Now we're in 2022. So when these get to court, uh, we often see the courts years, overruling years. because of the First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech issues yeah. and free exercise of religion, but it takes years. And a lot of people don't even do it because it costs too much money. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we are blessed to have organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom and First Liberty and other organizations in the past. that are out there. Yeah, we've worked with both of those groups that have helped us uh, in the past. And uh, uh, ADF has helped this particular Christian photographer. But, you know, you know, it's interesting because, you know, here at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, we've had people who are very obviously... Uh, gay, or they even make sure they let people know who've come to the Ark and the Creation Museum. But we want everyone to come to the Creation Absolutely. Museum and the Ark. We, we don't want, want to turn people away. We want them to hear the truth of God's Word and the Gospel. And so uh, it's open to everyone to come. And we see all sorts of different people, 30% non-Christian who come to the, to the Ark and the Creation Museum. Um, but, you know, the, what, the, what the Kentucky... Uh, county here was doing was trying to impose on someone that you have to support uh, a particular worldview. With your business, your gifts, yeah. your abilities, your talents. And, and right. you've got to help promote them. Well, that's a different matter entirely. They make a distinction between serving them um, like in a restaurant or through your services, um, but speech is categorically different. And so on her website, she was able to state her beliefs that, um, yeah. you know, due to my religious beliefs, I do not um, I cannot support gay marriage, and so she wouldn't be taking those pictures. And I think one of the quotes in here was, the freedom of speech, especially for minority views, is a core premise of our democratic republic. And, you know, it's just, I think, mm -hmm. to your point earlier, you know, it's sad that we're becoming the minority. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we used to be a, a, based on God. Our country was founded on, on the Christian faith. And so, um, again, just kind of a reminder to all of us to be spreading the news and getting the word out there. Evangelism. But tell it is a reminder of too, and that is the Judeo-Christian ethic that uh, was promoted by the founding fathers. Not all of them were necessarily Christian, but it came out of the Bible and it permeated the culture. But ultimately, that Judeo-Christian ethic has its basis in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So if you're not on about the word of God, um, then ultimately it'll collapse, right? right. And what, what has happened is we whole, ge whole generations go through an education system that's showing God out, the Bible out, that, you know, man determines truth. Once you get rid of the Bible altogether, then there's no basis even for the Judeo-Christian ethic. Then you see the secular worldview permeating generations and permeating the culture.
And it's by God's grace we're seeing small victories like this. And with that in mind, bear in mind that the last line of the article is this. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear a similar case next term. So be aware of that. Be praying for that. There's going to be more and more of those cases that are going to come up. And then, you know, this leads into the next one, too, about this fire chief who, because, because he went to a leadership training program. At a church. At a church. Yeah. Was fired as his, uh, from his position. Which, when we're reading this article, read the details of the article. So a fire chief loses his job for attending a leadership conference at a church. And so he had been, he'd been, worked for the fire department for 24 years, eventually made it as fire chief. He was told by one of the people in management he needed to go to some leadership training. So he went to a training seminar held at a church that had some Christians there, leading it with a Christian worldview in mind. And so he, he's a Christian, took other people with him from the fire station, Christians as well. They paid for it themselves. They went to the training. And then after they got done with the training, he would just report reported it to his managers that he'd went, and then he got accosted by the managers because he went to a church for the training, and that just wasn't good. This was over in California. Um, but this was back in 2010 was when this actually took place. Uh, and then his, basically the managers threatened him, and then they fired him in uh, 2011. And now in 2022, this is now in court. Well, it was a district court that, yeah. that ruled against him. That's right. right? Yep. It ruled in favor of the city. That's but correct. First Liberty, a great Christian group of attorneys, we've worked with First Liberty, they've worked with us, um, and uh, they have taken this case on. Eventually, it'll get up to the Supreme Court. Court but, most likely. But, but think about it. It's years and years it takes for this. And He was the, fired in 2011. Isn't that it's something? It's 2022. Right. Right? And so what, what kind of motivation he must have to stick it out, right? Well, that's why... Uh, like the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the reason that they've been able to impose their atheist religion. I mean, they're a group of atheist bullies from uh, Wisconsin. The reason they can do this is because they bully people and then they threaten lawsuits. And a lot of people just cave. It's just not worth the time and That's the right. money to be able to do it. But in the meantime, you lose all these freedoms. Mm. So let's go on something different. <laughs> Please? <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so this bizarre ancient critter has been kicked out of a group that includes humans. And so the Saccharitis coronarius say that three times fast, I dare you. All right. This little critter was thought to be in some sort of lineage of humans. If you look at the screen right there, it looks like an angry purple minion to me. All right. It's kind of what really is being... <laughs> how, how big is this creature, Kai? This critter is only a half a millimeter long. Half a millimeter. Half a millimeter. So and they believed it was our small. ancestor. Our ancestor, right? Mm -hmm. according to them. I was going to say, if you look at that, that looks like the head of some certain people I see walking around these days. <laughs> There's <laughs> some bad jokes, yeah. It does. Look, Don't name them by I've name, I've seen though. people with hairstyles like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of somebody. But anyway, all right, so I digress. Um, so do you realize that this was considered to be one of your ancestors? You, you realize that? Yeah. And so they were trying to figure out when the night... Well, there's at least one person in the audience not said me. not her. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to figure out where to put this critter, and they thought it belonged to a group that we belonged to a long time ago in evolutionary storytelling, and that's all this is, evolutionary storytelling as far as its history and its ancestry. And then they come to find out there are certain anatomical features with this creature that didn't line up with that group that would be our group according to them, so they wanted to put it in another group. And it's kind of one of those stories where it's like, hey, we had this new find because they did it in a 3D version. They got a better perspective of it, and this new find changes 
changes all that we thought about human ancestry and evolution. So there's some little holes that are around that big mouthpiece there. Um, and they thought maybe they were the earliest form of gill slits. And so that put them into line with the fish and the people and all those things. Um, so they were, but then as they did this 3D modeling, which again, um, you know, this is simulation, so they don't have evidence per se for this. Um, but in this new storyline, then they believe that there was actually um, a, a flesh or a soft tissue piece inside that the pressure would made it protrude out of those holes. And so rather they, they just have these spines instead of what they thought were gill slits. Um, but, you know, again, if you think about it, um, they just, they had it in this track and just as quickly as that with another idea in one publication, they can just flip it over to a whole other line of, of evolution. And in other words, they don't really know. It's just they're a not lot really of sure conjecture. what they're saying now is correct anyway right. about what those structures are. Right. They have no idea but somehow it evolved. And evolution and, must be true. And evolution must be true. Yeah. So let's go on. Right? Yeah. That's about it, isn't That's it? That's about it. How, how many little things like this are there in, the, in, the, in our world? And then all the microscopic creatures, there's thousands of I'm them, I'm glad right? we don't see them on a regular basis because that's kind of freaky looking. Not gonna, or any I'm bigger. Not lie, do, you right? think, do you think God said, huh, let them work this out? <laughs> you know? <laughs> he probably did. That's <laughs> what I'm wondering. Okay, we've all got right. one more. The last article for the day. Fungi evolved their weird and wild shapes in two big bursts. And so this is supposed to look at the evolution of fungi. And, uh, and so basically what you have here is a little bit of good science with a whole lot fungi. of storytelling. Huh? Fungi. Fungi, fungi. I'm from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Fungi, fungi. <laughs> fungi. <laughs> but well, they had some scientists, they looked at uh, these different characteristics of fungi or fungi, if you're from Australia, uh, and they looked at some of the physical traits of the different variations. There's lots of variations within fungi. And so they said, well, there's roughly 300 different physical traits amongst the ones these scientists looked at. They put them in categories, and then they basically compared the different physical traits to the assumed, keyword assumed, evolutionary relationships between them and, they, and the assumed physical uh, features that show that evolutionary relationship. So they assumed evolution, they assumed a relationship in evolution, they plugged those assumptions into a computer simulation to track the evolution of fungi over hundreds of millions of years within their worldview. And doing that, they said, wow, look at that, there are two major bursts when fungi really diversified. One time roughly 800 million years ago, another time roughly 500 to 300 million years ago. That's a big time gap, all right? But somewhere in there, you see rapid speciation. But throughout all of this, fungi or fungi remained fungi. Well, and what's also interesting is that surprisingly, they say, against what they had expected to see, uh, they didn't find these little lineages that tracked between the different groups. Rather, they described the distribution of fungal disparities as quite clumpy. They found Clusters, uh, clustered as four distinct islands without overlapping. So they have this kind and this kind and this kind and this kind, which is what we read about in Genesis, right? God created according to their kinds right. and each reproduced after their own kinds. And so really you just see um, In other words, to sum up this paper, <laughs> they research fungi. <laughs> That's a good summary, right? Hey, by the way, let me share with you something before we finish here, and I think uh, you wanted to talk about a couple of things here. We have a brand new book that's not in our bookstore yet. Cut off the press. It'll be available very soon. It's in a big container. Look at that. Look how this, I can hardly lift that thing. It's heavy. You know the Borderland exhibit we have here? All the research that was done on that exhibit and everything that's in that exhibit and all the photographs and lots of other research what happened at the, from the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament to the, set up, 
you know, Jerusalem there for the time of Christ. Exhibit. It's like it, this is like a textbook on that. Nobody, book nobody's book. ever done that before. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make you jealous because I've, I've <laughs> got an advanced copy. copy. <laughs> and if you keep watch on our uh, keep watch on our website, we'll get our newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter. You'll be able to get a copy of this. It's an incredible book. It's beautiful. It really is. The artwork's yeah. incredible. And then we also, just in case you're wondering, we have this book called Glass House, dealing a lot with some of the evolutionary arguments we quickly summarize here at the end, talking about variation, adaptation, speciation, some of the classic arguments for evolution, debunking those, giving a good biblical perspective. It's called Glass House. It's a great book, one of many, but a a great book dealing with those issues, giving you really good answers to all those sorts of questions. We have uh, coming up, by the way, Creation College. That's right. I just want to mention that to you. Uh, this is an expo that we have each year, November 3 to 5. Uh, colleges that take the same stand as us, we invite them in. and It's down the arc, and we bring in all these students that want to come. And a lot of fun. We allow them to come free and yep. special yeah. discount for their families to come to the arc and the Creation Museum. And then the colleges, they can go and talk to all these colleges, and we want to direct people to colleges that take the same stand on God's Word beginning in Genesis And there are not that many, do. so it's good to no, have them all in one place. That many, one stop shopping. We, we, uh, what's that? One stop shopping. One stop shopping, yeah. So um, incredible opportunity. If you have someone, high school student, or mm-hmm. someone interested in college, or even you know younger, but thinking yeah. about colleges for the future and what, where they're going to go. Absolutely. Is that it? That's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks all so right. much. Thanks, guys. Have See you next day. time. <laughs>